This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 286, first edition, first look. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Hunter, will you be my Valentine? Will I be your Valentine? Mm-hmm. Will you? Matt. Please? You first of all, you're married. Yeah. Okay. Second of all, I have a girlfriend. Yeah. Alright, just for the weirdos out there. Just letting <laughs> you know. Alright? Not on the market. Okay. <laughs> uh so I have I have a Valentine. Uh-huh. And by the way, it is it's Valentine's Day. We are <laughs> recording this on Valentine's Day. It is 27 p.m. local time. Uh huh. And that's when we're starting this recording. Yeah. So in a way, Matt, I would say you've already got enough of my time today. You know what I mean? You, do we also have to be each other's Valentines today? Really? I have a girlfriend who is waiting for dinner for this to be over. Yeah. So that we can do stuff. Mm. I I personally think at this point we're already each other's Valentines. Okay, just secretly. All right. But we do need to boogie yeah. and then, you know, get on get do life, priorities. Do the rest of the Valentine's. You know what things. I mean? Fine. Work, work, life, balance. Yeah. I'm talking about. But you are my work, Valentine. So I win that one at the very well, least. Well, yeah. I mean, the, uh, who else? Do you have other options? EJ. Huh? EJ is not. EJ does not work here, all right? I am not I'm not going along with this, okay? Until you put EJ on the payroll, uh-huh. until you fire me and replace me with EJ to the rejoice of basically everyone. Yeah, yeah. It would be a better show. It would be it, it would be two people that truly love each other right, talking right. about something yeah. they don't really spend any time doing speaking of you can tune in to ej and matt commentating the invitational finals this saturday february something whatever it is 18th at 1300 utc it's me and ej uh hanging out for the invitational finals won't you come watch this thing finally end please come on down It'll be over. That'll be good. Uh, Also, make sure you check out uh, the Eventbrite is up for the first annual, no, the first (laughs) SCPTCon, or a.k.a. the SCPT Hootenanny, which will be taking place in Portland uh, the week of March 22nd. I believe it's March 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. That's right. It's the entire event. It's it's a, a Wednesday night perform a live episode of Space Cast Peace Turtles at the Helium Comedy Club in Portland, Oregon, followed by two days of slam dunk Twilight Imperium all day. Yeah. And then maybe some other stuff on that weekend. Yeah. It's gonna be very cool. EJ and I are gonna play disc golf with people. That's already getting organized. I don't know what day, but we're just like if you if you're in Portland and you play disc golf, if you hey, if you have a friend who plays disc golf and you listen to this show and you're like, I don't know anything about disc golf, but Jerry loves the stuff. Hit, hit us up. Let's pl- we'll go play disc golf with you. I want to get like a bunch of us out there. I think that'd be really funny. Uh, hey, today's a fun episode. Today is a goofy little thing because we are beginning our project uh, that's going to be actually a quite, I would say, long-term project, which is trying to give some proper time and attention to the legacy and the history of 
of this game we love so much. We talk so much about 4th edition, and we have, of course, the two of us dabbled in 3rd edition. We played it a, a fair amount, and it's the whole reason we started this podcast. And we've interviewed Christian T. Peterson before and talked a bit about 1st and 2nd edition. We've never really touched 1st edition. We'll talk a little bit more about 1st and 2nd, but we want to do a handful of episodes kind of cataloging, checking out the old games, and then also maybe some, like, proper deep historical looks at these things in a, in a more, uh, you know, maybe a formal presentation is something I would like to do later on is, like, a this is the history of first edition. But yep. for today, we essentially have, we played it. Uh, it's technically the second time we've played it. We've been kind of investigating it, reading up on the rules and stuff, and we have just, like, a better sense now of what kind of game first edition of twilight imperium is and we would like to share our findings with you yeah um so we're gonna be talking about a game that uh is not that you cannot buy right that is not in print right uh and it's old it's farty okay uh, <laughs> 1997 there's cobwebs on that um <laughs> but i think you'll be pleasantly surprised at our report yeah as far as uh how much we liked it and how interesting it was it was surprisingly yeah uh, interesting. Um, but you can't play this, so how did we do that? Yes. Hmm. Well, so hmm. thanks especially to the hard work of a listener and friend, Tristan, who put together a mod on Tabletop Simulator. It's the only mod between the two platforms I know of for either first or second edition. So something we're going to have to figure out before we do the second edition project is like getting a mod on there or getting a physical copy that we can hang out with for an extended period of time or whatever. Yep. Um, yep. But we, we currently have absolutely no plan of how to play second edition, but we knew the first edition mod was up there because Tristan was able to get it uploaded and everything on there. I mean, it doesn't have the Daryl level of bells and whistles, right? but the whole right. game was in there and we had actually done a stream years ago of first edition where we played it, but that stream was, we went in even more blind than we did today uh, and I was at home with a pretty fresh newborn baby at the time. We're talking like under six months right. and should not have been a part of that game because I was taking, I was a new dad, a brand new dad at that mm -hmm. point. I don't remember anything of that game. There is, it. I know that we did it, but I do right. not remember a single moment of gameplay from that game. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that you had to go through that being a dad and all. And, you know, it's just been such a such a black mark on your family and soul and everything. Uh, but yeah, no, we did. We did try to play Twilight Imperium first edition. We did not, uh, especially now that I've played a full game of of it. Well, we barely even started, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I thought we had played somewhat into it, but actually feeling what the the mid game right. is now that I know kind of what the maybe we'll do a now what is learned the mid what the mid game <laughs> yeah now that that's settled uh, <laughs> once we got into the mid game of TI first edition I was a little bit like whoa okay we did not even scratch the surface right. the first time right um, and basically had to call it after getting essentially a rules explanation but there was enough that first time that some of it did get stuck in my brain which yeah. is quite nice i would say yeah let's talk about what we actually had in our first plank because i think if anybody listening to this was a fan of first edition and played it back in the day first off please email us and talk to us i want to know more i genuinely like to sit down and interview anybody who played it uh, I like want to talk to you about the experience of it. It might get included in the future episode where we like do a much deeper dive on it. I want to know what it was like to play this in you know before the year two thousand, basically before the uh, a release 
of second edition. I'm, I'm curious. In the ancient times. In the you know, ancient times. If you happen times. to be an, uh, an decrepit old person <laughs> and you want to email us because you are, oh, the ripe old age of what? Probably in your 40s. Right. Um, which is just so crazy old. Ew. I mean, I can't believe it. All the way back in 1997 when me and Matt were, uh, had been born. Um, it was a time we did live to see, but no, it was way back. I mean, forever you must be ago. Insanely old. The yep. world has changed so much that since then <laughs> uh so our version of this was playing with the base game last time i think we played almost explicitly it was just like base game stuff but there are there's technically four expansions for first edition although i should note one of them is called twilight armada and it is literally just an expansion that came with plastic components for yeah. the game it has no other mechanical value it's just the plastic stuff uh, but the other three expansions are borderlands distant suns and the outer rim and we essentially did the thing where we played with all the kind of must include easy to include stuff but the things that were like and here's this entirely new uh rule set here's an optional rules kind of thing we weren't playing with like most of those things like there's there's mechanics called like assassins we didn't really touch those uh uh the things like uh the actual distant suns like tokens that go on planets and you explore them we didn't do any yeah. of that but if it was just like a new card for the agenda deck we did that there's things like making the concept of capital ships like in base game ti1 a dreadnought one hit it's dead and in one of the expansions they were like mm, dreadnoughts can take two hits that's an easy thing to incorporate, right? So we basically just played with all of the easiest to include stuff uh, for our first game. And even within that, I will note, we probably messed up a few times. Like, there's things that probably didn't fit that bill that were, like, just actually still in the game lingering yeah. around. And then we realized right. midway through. And, you know, it was a slapdash effort. It's not like we um, perfectly mastered the rules of this game before signing up for the first time. But we did play with four other players, uh, one of which Quantum had played uh, two times before. So Quantum had knew some stuff. Uh, Milty was there. And uh, Milty just is able to read a rulebook and immediately... It just stays in his brain. I don't understand how he does it, but he just like gives it a once over and then it's all there perfectly like a photographic memory. So Milty was there, which was very helpful for keeping right. uh, things straight. You know what's really crazy about that is uh, Milty didn't actually read the rule book. I don't know if you saw this, but Milty just put like his hand on the rule book <laughs> and then his eyes like rolled back yeah, into yeah. his skull. <laughs> And he just kind of, he was like vibrating for a second, like really rapidly. I it was like hard saw, to even detect. I just saw that the room got about like four degrees hotter and like, yeah. and like the light was a bit more blinding. That's all I could, I couldn't really even see Milty necessarily. I'm surprised yeah. you could see through the fog and the very bright light. Well, yeah. So I actually could see through the fog and the bright light on our, our on our. We had our webcams on. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed that Milty uh, was eating something, and I zoomed in and enhanced, and he had eaten the rule book. <laughs> like he just ate it up, and yeah. I think that's how. I think that's his secret. I think he eats words, and then they become a part of them forever. <laughs> Uh, who else joined us? We had Mantis. Uh, Mantis was there. And uh, Kaluin, of course. Uh, so, you know, we had basically four, I would say, fourth edition experts who uh, could tap in and, you know, keep the game moving at a good pace. It was a fast game. I mean, we it was like a seven and a half hour long game. That's like, yeah, that's good, good TI time, I would say. Yep. Um, yeah, I think I think we did real good, especially considering that so few of us had ever played the game before. Right. Um, so, yeah, that... 
There was more that transferred over, though, than I thought there was going Absolutely. to be. Actually. Well, let's talk about that. Um, what did what did you know about first edition going into this? How much knowledge did you have of it as a game? There are only two things that I really knew strongly. I mean, I guess if I had thought about it more, I maybe could have reflected and been like, oh, yeah, I'd heard this about it. But the, th- the main things that I knew was that first edition doesn't have command counters uh-huh. and that it doesn't have strategy cards. And the right. only reason I knew that is because that was the big thing about third edition was that I'd had those things. Right. Because I remember when I found out that that had been invented for third edition and that the game didn't have it before, I thought, well, that isn't, how does the game even what work? What was the game? Because of yeah. the two <laughs> most basic things. Turns out, it it they it does make sense, actually, yeah. without those two. So now I'm starting to think, we should just get rid of those. Right. You know, what do we suck. need all that clunk for? I don't know. Um, I actually do kind of feel that way about command counters, but strategy cards I, of course, love. But I'm like, I don't know. There's a weight to command counter. I There is a part of TI1 uh, I prefer, I will say, uh, and we'll talk about it more later. The other thing I knew uh, was that the objective, uh, the goal of the game is a static thing. It is not a list of cards that are objectives. Uh, TI First Edition uses a progression track, and it is a list of goals that everyone is trying to achieve, and essentially at a at a benchmark in the round, like at the top of each round, you check to see if you ha- uh, qualify for the progression and you move up a, a leg. Uh, and those progressions are actually very, very simple. It's have three planets outside of your home system, and then it's have six technologies total, have six total techs. Yep. Now, with yep. each of these phases, too, you have to have all of the things underneath it as well. You have to maintain control of all of the other rungs. You never go backwards on the progression track. So if you lose three planets outside your home, you don't fall down the track. But you cannot continue to move forward unless you uh, do these. Next up is uh, that you have to have 25 resources worth of planets. Uh, the way money works in TI First Edition is quite a different thing in general. You, your planets, are there's no planet cards. You're not exhausting planets. That's another thing I think is actually somewhat complicated in third and fourth edition but i also don't think first edition's version of it is any less complicated in fact it's quite a bit more complicated but the idea is your your planets just add up to a sum total of resources and at a phase in the game you gain credits for all of the resources you have so the game doesn't care about how many credits you have it wants you to have 25 resources worth of planets in addition to all the other things and then the final benchmark for the game is to have 25 influence nine technologies and all of that other stuff uh, as well, which by the end of the game adds up to a lot of stuff. Now, I should also note that those two 25 numbers that you just heard, um, that might sound terrifying. The planet numbers were vastly different Yeah, in first yeah. edition, way bigger numbers. So it's not right. like a ridiculous number of planets you have to get to 25. Uh, but on the flip side of that, Six technologies might sound like, okay, it takes a bit of time, but you just got to get it. Technology is $30 a pop. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is really crazy, but the six technology advances is like kind of the most expensive one. Yeah. Now, what's nice is you don't have to, you don't have to maintain anything and, and, and having 25, like, like you could just have like your three planets outside of home and just do a bunch of trading in order to like stay afloat as far as far as six technology advances go. So it's like not so much a control objective, but that one really gates like the flow of the game. Right. Because you only get one tech per round. There's no way to get two except for perhaps an action card that I don't know about. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, and, and every time it costs 30. Now you, 
you have sort of two types of income. Right. You have resources that you get from planets, and then you also have like trade, which can get really buck wild. Yeah, and yeah, be yeah. Like way more money than you have planet the, resources. The first couple rounds, you're like thirty dollars for tech is like literally bankrupting me at every possible impasse. Right. And right. then by the like last few year rounds, you're like, I got fifty bucks to spare. What are we doing? Like, what's going right. on? <laughs> I'm now making almost a hundred dollars a round or whatever. Like, it, it, yeah, the 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 money really really skyrockets in this game. Um, so outside of all of that, the basic flow of that game. The thing I knew is just, like, the rule book's really messy. I mean, this is just from that era of game where, like, it was design first, right? It was just, like, sky's the limit on our ideas um, and maybe less focus on, like, making sure everything is a nice bulleted thing that when I have a rules question, how easy is it to look up? That's a new focus for board game rule books, I would say. I mean, that's not even yeah. something we had in third edition. Things were, right. rules were hard to find and parse in third edition. So I knew first edition was like, if you have a rules question in the middle of a game, you're probably just better off making up a thing like everyone just agree on how to move forward and yeah. then later you can figure out if you did it right or not uh but th like like 50 percent of the time the rule book probably doesn't even have an answer to your question right yeah i would recommend that if you're if you are going to play first edition especially on tts uh just just roll with it don't get too caught in the weeds there uh go with what makes sense because you could spend a bunch of time looking through that rule book and not find a definitive answer and yeah. yo this game's old like right. i don't know i don't know if you really need to be digging through like errata on this one i would say just make a call like yeah. just make a call is yeah. something that's going to come up there's no one that's going to call you out on it so it's not yeah. a big deal uh so yeah beyond that uh i will say for our game two we had you know, uh, something we learned after starting but that some of the other players remarked on is in just base game twilight here in first edition um the way you build the map ends up with like a very sparse amount of planets and knowing how the progression track works. I, what I just read for you too, is not the base game progression track. That's like a modified easier progression track. Also when the game had less total planets, which meant like getting 30 resources, which is which I believe the original version and 30 influence. You had to dig into like two different people's slices probably to even come close to accomplishing that. We played with a lot more planets on the map. I would say our map looked roughly like a TI 4th edition map with maybe a handful even more planets than normal. It was very planet focused. And uh, for those final two things, you had to dip into a neighbor generally speaking right, you know right. maybe maybe two tiles deep into a neighbor to like really pull off the final steps of the progression chart yeah that's something that i gotta say is just different about twilight imperium first edition is that the idea of it whether or not it's going to be space risk at some point yeah. um is settled it, it is going to come down to blows right every single time which i can understand there are a lot of people that might hear that and be like oh i love that i wish that there was more fighting in Twilight Imperium. If you think an essential part of the experience, though, is this sort of, like, strategic aggression, like, I don't know, maybe mm -hmm. I can figure out how to not attack ever and still win, um, and that being advantageous, um, this does kind of throw that out yeah. and just says, like, at some point, yep. there is just not enough to go around if you are going to get all of this together, especially if you're playing with the original track, which the original track... 
uh, Matt, you were saying was like 30. It's it's still 25 resources, but it's 30 influence, and yeah. you need 11 tech. Oh my gosh, to win. On <laughs> That's the original most of track. the tech on the board. Like that. Yeah. There's only like 18 tech total. Yeah, yeah. So you pretty much have to fill out your entire tech board and get 30 influence, which is like. It sounds like you could even maybe build a map in the original game that doesn't even have 30 influence without you like taking other people's home systems. Right. That's one thing that we should say too. The oh. home system values are completely different. And they're so rich. Yeah. The, the way that they're set up is obviously with the idea in mind that you are going to take those from each other. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be your big push for the final. My, I was Joel R, and it was... Uh, in t I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was in total five resources and ten influence. So I had ten. half the total influence I needed for the final objective in my home system alone, which also meant anybody eyeing more influence was like, well, Jolnar looks like a great little pickin' over there uh, to, to go for. Yeah, I will say it was kind of hard to figure out over the course of our game whether Jolnar actually has more or less of an advantage because yeah. the, the advantages that Jolnar had seem to be more significant in yeah. a game where you're very much gated on tech. Yep. Um, there's like not a lot of ways around just the limitations and, and starting with more tech just seems to be very advantageous. Yeah. But at the same time, because it's for sure a fighty experience, that negative one to combat is going to always come into play. Yeah. Which is not really true in Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. Right. Like, there are lots of times where Jolnar can sort of tie the game up before it even becomes worthwhile to do anything about right. them, you know? And you're just like, well, uh, I'm, I'm just kind of... It, it, it kind of happened, and now, yes, I can fight Jolnar in the sky and beat them, but it just doesn't... It's not going to be enough. We don't have yeah. enough time. Well, I'll add to that, though, the idea that Jolnar's minus one matters a lot on the ground because we're talking there's no mechs there's no fancy stuff right. happening yep. in the ground yep. game there are shock there troopers that we didn't play with uh, specifically right. but ground forces are also much harder to move you have to keep ground forces on planets to maintain control of them otherwise the planets revert back to neutral status and that applies even to your home system to even your home system and uh, so and getting ground forces like around on the board is really difficult at least for like the first half of the game and then even then for a while so what I definitely felt the whole game was like man these things are not gonna like matter when push comes to shove if someone wants to come take my stuff they will get the planets if they beat the sky because i just can't get enough ground forces where i need them to defend this stuff and i just know the odds will be not in my favor you know me hitting on on nines and tens while everyone else is hitting on eights nines and tens is gonna matter quite a bit in in the long game so yeah i, I do yeah, think jolnar I, I mean jolnar has some like absolutely wild economic advantages uh because the big thing is so we said it's it's thirty dollars per tech you need nine to beat the game you have to have nine to beat the game right most factions the average start i believe is two tech people start yeah, with two techs I there's a handful with, with three but a bunch of them start with two right you have to buy seven more you need to spend right. 210 dollars this game on right. tech that's right. before you can win you have have to have spent 210 dollars Jolnar, one of my advantages is tech costs me $20, and I started with four, meaning I only need five, meaning I only have to spend $100, yeah. where everyone else is spending 200 I have less than half the total cost of all of the tech I need to buy. Make up for that the fact that I definitely have to super invest in plastic, especially early, uh, which is I, you know just a thing I feel like I could... I bet you there's a build to Jolnar in first edition that's just like the overpowered way to put like you just are very, very good because the, the numbers just add up, right? Saving $110 is 
uh, pretty whack. Yeah, absolutely. I I just wonder, though, in a game where it seems like the ground forces thing that you were talking about yeah. is going to be relevant like every time, I think overall that means that being bad at fighting is not game. good, like right. always kind of going to be an issue. I also wonder, and I didn't play a Sardak. I wish I had, actually. Um, Sardak starts with no tech, of course. Uh, which is probably a huge hindrance. Huge. Um, that's nine <laughs> tech that they have to come up with. $270. Um, $270. I mean, it's a lot. But that plus one to combat is really going to sing yeah. in a game where combat is going to be relevant right. every single time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'd have to play a, a full game to, to see right. you know, how that panned out. Uh, well, let's talk a bit more about maybe just the specifics of our game then. Um, our other factions were Excha, uh, I was Jolnar, mm -hmm. we had an Asarl, we had a Nalu, uh, we had you Hunter as Mentak, and we had a yep. Soul. So we had a good mix of like kind of all the expansion stuff. The base game is is your your base six, Barony Jolnar, Soul Sardak, Excha, Hakan. Uh, so so you, you you start the game with those. And uh, the first expansion comes with uh, the Mentak and the Asarl, and the second expansion comes with the L1Z1X and the Nalu. If I got those backwards, actually, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure L1 and Nalu came later. Uh, notably, they did not return in second edition, so you don't see L1 or Nalu again until third edition, uh, which is a kind of crazy thing. They show up thematically in some ways, I believe, in second edition. I think there's like cards that refer to their existence, but I don't think right. they are in the game as playable things. So yeah, we had we had like a good little mix there. Uh, let's talk about some things that happened early. Uh, the funniest thing about this game is the number of things that you go through. So, so the structure of the game is that there are just many, many, many more phases. Um, if you've ever played Dune, like if you were following along with Dune when we played it, yeah. Dune is yeah. structured in the same way where it's like, here's a round. There's like eight things that all just happen at very specific intervals. Right. There's right. the everybody draw action cards phase. There's the everybody collect your income phase. There's the everybody choose what you're building phase. Uh, right. And one of those is towards the top of a round is an agenda phase. Which means before you even do any actions on the board, everyone does an agenda right out the gate to determine right. like how this game starts. And our agenda just so happened to add a bunch of neutral forces directly in the slice of extra. So extra started with this extra problem of we're all doing our early game expansion. Extra has to fight for every single one of those things. Yeah, that was really messed up and seemed to be like not. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen in this game that we're going to talk about that were that were they might sound exciting, but they felt so against the spirit of there being any kind of balance considered yeah. in this game that it did sometimes feel a little too mean spirited yeah. where it was just sort of like, oh, well, I guess that's just going to be a huge problem for yeah. you now. And it doesn't really have to do with us like doing right. the right thing it was no. just kind of like yep well the game just decided you lose yeah <laughs> um you stole fuzzy lifting drinks it's, go home it is massively swingy in that way there are just things like cards and things like that that come out that are just like well that changes literally everything to a, mm -hmm. uh, an extreme degree 
uh make to make matters worse too like the early game is way harder you start with like not enough ground forces and you can't a bit most people's round one is not even expanding it's just building no, you don't do anything units no. you don't do a single thing because you can't yeah. abandon your home system you lose the money if you get rid of your home system and you don't start enough with, with enough ground forces to start doing early expansion so you literally just like waste time uh building but that's sort of the idea too though is you know in in ti third edition we're talking about ooh, or i mean fourth edition it's like oh there's five rounds generally right yeah and like round three might be two and a half hours long it's maybe like an hour per round plus an hour and a half per round or something uh in first edition you're probably gonna do like 11 rounds quote unquote they just don't feel so much like rounds because the other like critical nature of this is within a round Everybody does just like one set of actions. Yeah. You move yeah. all of your stuff once. Like we said, there's no command counters. There's just your turn to move everything and you move everything and see what combats you do. And then you do the combats and everybody gets to do that once. Uh, so rounds happen very, very fast. I mean, a round can be like 10 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever, especially I think if you right. got good at first edition rounds one through three, people would just be on autopilot. They would know their opening build. Like you would know exactly what you are just have to do to survive. There's no dynamics to what's going on besides like maybe some agendas that flip. But beyond that, you literally would have like, I have to do exactly this to be able to maintain any level of footprint on this map. Right. And sometimes that's just like, I mean, my round one as Mentac was build ground forces. Yeah. Um, and I think that's all I did. I, I, I had nothing else to do. Yeah. Um, because I couldn't, I, you know, you, so there's one thing that I, I find really obnoxious um, that I will say just overall, just maybe this is a needless level of complication, but there is a phase where you purchase your units. Yeah. And you do that, you set them aside, you spend the money for them and they just kind of sit there. Right. And then you do not place those units on the board until the end of a round, which means on round one, if you move you don't have any units at your home system when it's time to collect right. your um your credits when you receive your credits so that's uh that's not good yeah if you um, abandon your space dock too it reverts to neutral which means you lose the space dock there so you literally it, yeah, cannot leave the planet in your home system with a space dock on it because then the build that you prepped will be impossible to enact it will be done you will yep. have lost all that money so yeah it's just like a very it it feels very slow like you do very little at any given moment but you iterate way faster you just like do yeah. a round then do another round then do another you round churn like everything rounds. yeah you churn through rounds really really fast so uh the 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 flow and the feeling is there are rounds where it's like everybody just kind of agrees to like do nothing and you just sort of burn through it and then there's like the clear big impactful rounds where the turn order really really matters and everything like that um and i will say what we discovered in a, in a major way is turn order definitely is a huge deal and stalling is just as important as ever yeah, it's weird. I guess stalling is not some sort of like later idea for Twilight Imperium. <laughs> stalling has been a really important aspect of the strategy from the very beginning. Um, it's been baked in. It's been in the cake yeah. the whole time, everybody. <laughs> the cake um, is in the room. Oh, no, it's yeah. behind you. Uh, yeah, so so stalling basically was when it was time for everyone to take actions, you would, you would determine turn order based off how much influence each player has, yeah. which might not change a lot from round to round, right. meaning that it might just be the same person as last every single time. And then every player can, <laughs> can either take their turn or stall. Yeah. And of course, the smartest thing to do, 9 out of 10, 
is stall. So right. the first player, who is probably the first player from last time, and it probably will be the first player until the, almost the end of the game, will be like, oh, okay, I'm going to stall. I'm going to wait. Next player, oh, can also wait. Okay, so that's two of the two of the six. Third player, ooh, you know what? Oh, I'm thinking about waiting. You know, maybe I don't want to go yet. Fourth player, oh, I got to wait. Fifth player, oh, time to wait. And then this is the part that kills me. We're now down to the sixth player who has the least influence, who's, who might not even be doing very well in the game. And for some reason, they can't, like the arbitrary decision here, it could be that they decide to wait and then it goes back to the top and that person has to go. Instead, if everyone stalls, the person last in turn order then just has to go. Right. It somebody makes, has to do something. It makes for an insane imbalance because the whole thing is if you have the most influence, you can go last and thus do the stalling thing and yeah. probably benefit yeah. you. But if you need to go first... You just get to do that instead, yeah. too. And yeah. actually, the way we worked it out, I didn't understand this for a long time, but the second someone else takes an... If you've waited and someone else takes an action, you go immediately goes back, back to, to the top yeah. of the order, which is insane. So, like, basically, yeah. top of the order is just constantly being checked with, like, hey, hey, everything okay? Is, is, the, is yeah. the room a good temperature? Do you have right. a Mai Tai? Is everything it's good so for you? Up. We're going to check in. Is it is everything to your it's, liking? It's not... Here, let's, let's talk about that first player, actually. So first in the order, the way it works in TI1 is if you are, if you have the most influence in a given round, you can either go, here's your options. You could go first, second, third, fourth, fifth. I guess you can't go sixth, but you could go. Right. You could go any other thing. <laughs> you could go any, any other. Oh, no. You no, can, you can of go course sixth. You, yeah, yeah, not, you could just keep stalling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you can go, if you're top Anytime of the order, you, you can want. go any any order. Yeah. They're all available to you. If you are last in the order, you can go last, <laughs> and that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else will force you into whatever they want you. The last yeah. player does not choose when they go, is the point. The yeah, last player the essentially thing. just goes when the table tells them they go. Uh, so you spent a lot of the game in that position, actually, because uh, as Mentech, Me you had Kalu two and, influence at yeah. home. And yeah, I had 10 at home. At home. Yeah. And so anything, yeah. and then your slice also was not especially influence rich. Whereas like we had uh Milty on soul. Milty started with very little influence as well. I think, except Millie had like, Milty had baseline abilities that boost influence and, and was able to like get a good slice with influence too. So yours was just like, I mean, you were at like 12 influence the entire game where everyone else was, you, you hover around 20 for a while. Right. Right. Yeah. I, it, it was interesting. Me and me and uh, Kaluan was playing as uh, Isarl. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Kaluan. Hey, what's up, buddy? How you doing? Uh, you know, Portland. We should play whenever we're, we're in Portland. <laughs> First edition. Uh, yeah, that's just sorry, but everybody shut up. This is just me and Kaluan talking right now. Um, <laughs> just get out of here. Uh, anyway, so me and Kaluan were kind of going back and forth as being last, and uh, we both hated it um, yeah. <laughs> a lot. Uh, it, it is uh, it is not fun. It really takes all all of. Uh, all of the variety out of your round, it yeah. get kind of, gets kind of boiled down to like the same thing. So there were many rounds where I chose to do nothing yeah. because my only choice was to either go first and move my units out first and obviously get uh, counterattacked yeah. or just try and shore up defensively and right. wait. Yeah. And that's, that seemed to be the smarter option for me. But it was the more boring one as far as gameplay is concerned. Yeah. 
Uh, Asarl took the other approach, and Asarl, I mean, for the first two rounds, we weren't really doing this waiting thing either, because you don't have enough entanglement, you're not, like, on top of each other, so, like, no, the turn order actually doesn't deal, matter at all, uh, and Asarl decided to just fly out the gate, like, stretching across the entire galaxy, Asarl was, like, in extra slice in round two or whatever, and everyone else is like, I've barely left my home system, what are you doing, Asarl's like, I started with six ground forces and plenty more to build, like, right. you know, he went nuts, but... Uh, I don't know that it necessarily all panned out for him because all the planets he got were resources, not influence. You really do have a reason to focus on the resources first, though, because plastic, you know, is going to be such a big deal. The only thing you need influence for is that turn order and the eventual win of the game. And if anything, too, I mean, to to skip ahead a bit, I mean, things did end up working out for you as Mentech. Uh, so going going last in the early rounds yeah, was well. certainly annoying, but uh, you did end up with the 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 crown in the end. Yeah, I did win the game mostly because of an action card that I drew, um, which is a maybe good transition into yeah. talking about how important the action cards are in Twilight Imperium First Edition. Uh, I would say they are very, very to probably too much important. Too <laughs> yeah. much important is yeah. how I would say. Um, I drew a card called Deep Space Hijackers. Actually, I don't even think I drew it. I'm pretty sure Mantis made a deal with me to sell it to me. Um, because one of the things that's weird about the action cards is some of them can only be played by factions with particular skills. Yes. So each of the factions have like lists of skills they have and they kind of go along with them. Think about the um, think about the dispositions on the back of a TI4 yeah. faction. Yeah. Imagine if those had like some cross between them. So like Hunter's skill was piracy. I think Mentech is actually yeah. the only one with piracy, but like right. my skill was technology and like L1 and Jolnar both have technology as a skill. So we can play technology yeah. action cards. I really liked the the idea behind that system because right. the big thing is in TI first edition, you actually have very little you can trade and you can only trade during one phase of the game. There is the right. time in which trading is allowed and the only things that can be traded are your credits your money, and action cards. Which means really yeah. the only thing you're ever doing is buying other people's action cards. There's no reason, you have no value in giving money to each other, right? Aside from right. for the exchange of the action cards. And you can't force players to do that if you just give everybody good action cards. The whole idea is, I got this technology action card, you got this piracy action card, that's the opposite of what our skills are. Looks like we yeah. got a deal cooking, buddy. Let's do a swippy swap. Um, I think that, though, there's a problem yeah. with this aspect of the game. Um, we've talked about this concept uh, before, but it was like a long time ago. There are certain action cards where you can be like, oh, okay, if one person has this action card, then th let's let's talk about unexpected action in yeah. TI4. We're gonna, let's zoom out of TI4 real quick. So there's unexpected action. That's a card that if somebody has it, they might play it in a way that's advantageous to them. Uh, so the one out of six, may draw it yeah and then uh-oh oh boy that happened well let's say i'm playing a game of ti4 and i'm doing well and i start worrying about public disgrace public disgrace if it's in any of the other five players hands and i am about to win then it is probably going to get played on me right. you know what i mean right so like i really got to worry about that card yeah one player might have unexpected action Five players might have public disgrace. That's that. That means that if it is in any of their hands, it is going to be a problem for me. Yeah, I see Twilight Imperium First Edition having a problem 
where many things are going to be like public disgrace. Yes. Because if any player draws this card, they're going to be like, oh, well, I'm going to sell this to Mentech. Right. Which means, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like Mentech has like a 90% chance to end up with that card. <laughs> because, and that, that's what I'm saying is like maybe the problem with making it so that the cards can only be played by certain factions. Yeah. Is that you're basically saying... Well, if any of the players draw that, then they are going to put it in that purse. Because why wouldn't you? You're not going right. to just keep it in your hand if it's not useful for you. Now, to be fair, Deep Space Hijackers, I actually don't think you need piracy in order to play it. I yeah. actually think you can play it As without piracy. However, if you have piracy, it lets you double the effect. Um, and I didn't actually describe what the effect was. It, it's, it's devastating. Um, essentially, it's a player attacks you, uh, and if it's above a planet you control... Or, or I actually think they can just move into any space with a planet you control. You can steal two of their dreadnoughts or cruisers and replace them with your own. Just straight up. And how much and does a dreadnought cost? <laughs> dreadnoughts cost 10 credits, my friend. <laughs> um, and if you have piracy, so if you if you don't have piracy, you just steal one. If you have piracy, you can steal two. Yeah. Uh, and I had this card. For yeah. most of the game. And so I just sat and waited for someone to attack me. Yep. Um, and then was just like, well, I'll play that on them. And then I will have way more I'll, I'll, units I'll do, It's a had. $40 swing. In this case, I didn't. I, it was me that you hit with. I did not bring two dreads to the fight. So luckily, it was not as big of an economic blow as it could have been. But think about that. I go down $20. Hunter goes up $20 in fleet value, right? Yeah. A $40 swing at before any combat has occurred. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, it, it completely tanked my game. Like, I had sort of a chance at winning, and then the second Hunter just played that action card. That was it for me. I was completely out of the running for the rest of the game because it was going to, there was just no way to get back that amount of plastic in, in any, like, relative amount of time uh, to compete because he he's hunter's gonna keep that plastic too right so like i right. have yeah, I, I can, like it goes hunter away. is never a target ever again for me because he now has just such a vast majority more plastic than i do and that card is not alone there's so mm -hmm. many ridiculous i had a card that got to set a player back a tech for a round it, it makes right. you downgrade a technology and that's like we were saying earlier that's like a major element of your progression you have to get right. a ton of tech and it costs everybody else 30 dollars and i got to just be like eh, i wasted an entire round and 30 of your bucks and just without even just because i had Ugh. this card that's how like wildly swingy these cards are they are like dealing with major they feel less bad in like the last last like two rounds maybe because again like we said you, you might have like an income of like 60 dollars a round so yeah. it makes sense in that respect but in round four these cards are absolutely insane in how much damage they're doing to to the other players at the table or whatever yeah yeah it it is pretty wild, um, and it's crazy like how important it felt like action cards were. Another thing in the action card deck was um, that's where trade agreements were. Like yeah. th there are no promissory notes <laughs> oh, in, yeah. in first edition. So, um, <laughs> but there there are trade agreements, and, and they lot. work. There are a lot of trade agreements, um, and they work sort of in a similar way as to like more like TI three than TI four, yeah. where you play one, and it's like an agreement between the the two factions, and then they have a trade value that they are sending to each other in the trade phase. But if you don't draw a trade agreement in, from right. the action card deck, yep. then you can't have any trade agreements. Right. And to be honest, 
They're pretty whack, the yeah. trade agreements. They yes. get out of hand well, very quickly. Because there's there's like there's a tech microtechnology. Per trade agreement you have active, you get three extra dollars uh yeah. during all yeah. of those phases. So the, the idea here is like myself and another player, we uh me and I think Xcha got a trade agreement like right away, like round two. Round one yeah. or two, we started yeah. a trade agreement. And that was instantly like ten bucks around. Yep. And like almost nobody else got a single trade agreement until like five rounds in, right? So me and Extra, we were already up $50 on everyone right. else in total income. And uh, it, there were there ended up being enough where like Asarl, you know, who's like has the same sort of thing where Asarl's drawing extra cards uh, and, and cultivating the deck and discarding through them and everything. So in theory, Asarl should have been getting a lot of trade agreements. Unfortunately, he didn't until the end of the game. But by the end of the game, Asarl had five trade agreements going had micro technology we had a law in play that increased five credits per trade agreement Asara was making like almost sixty dollars just from trade let alone the planets that were get like Asara was making like eighty dollars around jesus yeah the, the economy <laughs> of the game is like pretty ridiculous i will say this Here, here's here's one thing that i really like about this design We've already established that TI First Edition comes to blows. Yes. It, you, you will have to fight your neighbors. And the fact that the trade agreements are so juicy, <laughs> I like how that plays. Yes, because we, did, we didn't say that. the trade agreement, you can't fight each other. It is a, it's a support for the throne. So you well, can't attack each other if you I have a trade agreement. I'm actually not sure that's after. how it works. I think you can attack each other. It's just that at any time, either party can cancel the trade it's, agreement well okay that's one of the rules things there's so many things that are not stated on a component but are stated oh, in the rule book so great, the rule book great. explicitly states if you if you attack uh if you do if you enter combat with a player with your trade agreement you are forced to give up the trade agreement you get rid basically. of it okay um cool that but makes yeah yeah so it's it is a, it's a great support in that sort of regard of like you you know conflict's a big deal but you get to cut off major swaths of viable conflict until the end of the game I mean, there, there genuinely becomes a point in the game where everyone's making so much money that it doesn't matter anymore like you just i can cut out two trade agreements and still have enough juice to finish out the round or whatever especially like in a final round situation you're going to be you know completely fine uh let's talk about some of the other players games real quick just to sort of like wrap up how the game went um, Soul was our player who took Mechatol and held it for, you know, a number of rounds. Uh, Soul was in the sort of running in the end game for, for right. potential to win. Um, Mechatol is a one resource, nine influence planet. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's half your influence you need. So Mechatol definitely becomes a bit of a hotbed towards the end of the game. Uh, yeah, as yeah. long as horrible anomalies don't get in the way, the anomalies are a lot harder to deal with. Uh, the gravity rift in particular is like an insane an insane tile that I love, but it is nonsense and is not a good uh, strategic thing. Um, Nalu, I, I noticed Nalu having a pretty rough game. Uh, when I, Every time I looked over at Nalu, there was like a few ships and a bunch of planets with only a single infantry on every single yep. planet and yep. just Mantis kind of waiting around to see if anything was going to turn out better for him. I think at one point he was kind of in the running, but I think beyond that, he had kind of a rough... He was in a rough position. There was no zero tokens. There was no inherent benefits for Nalu like in the end game scenario. Uh, so I, I didn't feel like I, I saw any major plays. Uh, I noticed that they were quarreling with Soul quite a bit in our game. Yeah, it, it, it the way it kind of went as far as the late game is concerned was maybe a little bit strange. Uh, I, I don't know how typical it is of Twilight Imperium First Edition to play this way, but it was basically like we got to, to the point where we were looking at each other and we were saying who can win and who can't. Yeah. And we sort of 
went around and we stopped everybody. Um, and then it was like, okay, no one will win this round. And then we went to the next round and no one could win still yep. except for me. Right. And so everyone sort of was like, well, we'll, we'll sort of try, but more in like a, like it was more like sometimes you just want to roll dice to decide. Yeah. And it was like, we did that a couple times, but there was no, there was no chance for anybody else to jump up into the running, right. which I would say is kind of a, a criticism of the game that I would have to play more to see if it like kind of shakes out this way. But it seemed to me like right. once somebody was set back, it was really hard for them to get back online. And one of the things that I love about modern Twilight Imperium is that you can sort of win from not, you could have, you can like collapse yeah, basically and still pull out the win at the last second. Right. Because the victory conditions are very modular. It's not just, do this and then win. It could be like, well, you've pretty much done everything and except for you just have to do this one thing, this one yeah. weird little thing, and then you're going to pull out uh, the win as a surprise. That's not really possible in first edition. You're going right. to see the win yeah. coming from a mile away, right? basically. So, well, I don't know. Man, and prepping for that win is a whole other can of worms. Um, I know, Hunter, this was one of your kind of chief complaints, and I felt it less but i wonder too you were streaming this game and i wonder if you felt any extra pressure within that regard because you don't like to like bounce around a lot <laughs> with like your camera and everything whereas i'm like i spent the whole game whipping around because one thing this game asks of you is to constantly check and recheck your numbers your math what's going on with right. your stuff because you know yep. you have to eventually hit that 25 resources 25 influence you have to factor in so many things of like which planets can i take and where can i take them and how will that adjust my numbers and how will those numbers adjust my income in these various different ways and you're like you are just constantly doing math to try and figure yeah. out how things are going to shape up yeah uh, that's that is definitely something that was a little bothersome to me um you have to kind of keep in your head like it's not so much like your your resources and influence that's easy to track there's like a little there's a little track where you have your your symbol that that has your total kind of all counted up yeah. that's fine uh, there's no planet cards by the way so that's why you can't you, know, you don't have an alternative way to keep track of it except for right. the little the little tracker what was difficult for me is that you get your resources your credits yeah in kind of two different lump sums. Right. You get your trade resources, which actually comes later, so I should maybe start with regular resources. You get your regular resources towards the beginning of the round in the form of credits. Yep. And then towards the end of the round, you get your trade uh, credits from your various trade agreements. Yep. I played the game very conservative because I did not want to get to... And, and it's funny, both both of the times you collect credits is like right before you need to spend them on something. Right. You get your resources right before you need to buy units. You get your trade right before you need to buy tech. Tech is critical to the yeah. pace of the game. Right. You cannot skip a tech. It's going to take a whole extra round for you to win if you skip a tech. So that one is very critical. Um, it feels like splitting up the, the times where you get money, though, means I'm constantly thinking about how much money I might get yeah. and how much money I have now yeah. and balance that, balancing that against how much these units that I'm trying to buy cost. Right. And it felt like it was just like one too many yeah. like things to keep I, track of. Basically. I have $30 now. I'm trying to build plastic right now, which is a very yeah. dynamic amount of money I could spend. How right. much money can I spend 
how much money will I make during the market? I'm going to make $20 during market. So I can, I need to leave $10 behind after this build to have yeah. the $20 yeah. add up to $30 to be the tech when I get my tech thing. So, okay. So because of all of that, then I realize I can spend $18 on, like that's all the math you have to do just to decide I can build a dreadnought and a ground force. <laughs> you have to figure all that other stuff up first. It's not how much money do I have to afford units because those two phases of incomes make you jump and not add to that the chance that you might lose that trade agreement something yeah. could happen yeah. outside of your control that makes you lose not just in attacking other players there's other action cards that just delete someone's trade agreement i think that happens yeah. in specific phases regardless but but yeah there's so many unknown variables where you're just like i do need to save some money for tech and have a little bit extra just in case I get, you know, screwed by something. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's a very complicated game. I will say what's not complicated is the tech trees. There are just three lines of tech. There's, there's, there's six techs in each of these trees, propulsion, weapons, and general. And you have to go through them in order. And uh, there is an obvious best. There is an obvious second best. And there is an obvious worst track uh that i think every single one of us are if you went around the table at the end of the game all three of us had effectively the exact same tech spread <laughs> because we all need nine so we all have to get stuff and there's just the the things that you have to get neural motivator is like four deep in general and it's extra action cards and we all learned very quickly that these action cards are ridiculous sarween tools right. is three deep in general it adds plus one resource to every single one of your planets which is uh one of the goals of the game to have resources on planets so gotta get that master of production lets you place new units directly on the board during the buy new units step so instead of that, that thing hunter so described huge. that's the it's biggest so deal huge. in the world it's it's ridiculous that you can buy like everyone else I, I had that one very very fast compared to everybody else and that was like the thing that saved me basically was yeah. like being able to quickly replenish my units before people were going to start jumping on me because as jolnar I took an early evident lead because everyone just looks at the tech thing and is like, oh my God, Joel Nars going to crush us. So I, mm -hmm. I just felt like the whole game, everyone was looking at me and I, like it felt like I was on thin ice. That's how I always feel in games. So whatever, you know, I, I recognize that probably half the players were like, oh, I don't even care what Joel Nars doing at all. But it felt like I had this obvious lead that then like meant people were going to deal with me. And so like I needed master production right away. And then of course, the other side of that is uh, movement is like critical i have to go take systems and in this game things are even slower than normal like almost everything is just one movement your cruisers have two movement and they can't carry anything so you right. have to get increased movement tech which is all in the propulsion tree so it's blue yellow it's a blue yellow game and the weapons tech is trash it's all yeah very very bad and very useless <laughs> right and there's no biotic tech uh yeah. but a, a lot of the like neural motivator is in the uh is in general, general or we're calling it yellow but they, they're yeah. not color-coded at right. all right um the the tech the tech is pretty wild uh, it's funny that x89 is in twilight imperium first edition <laughs> yeah and it still sucks yeah it is just not <laughs> It's it's like and it's really horrible in first edition because it's like you use it, yeah. you get to kill all the ground forces. You have to have bombardment there still, so you need yep. that qualifier. You kill like all the ground forces, but then you lose like five influence <laughs> permanently. You just are negative per, five per bombardment <laughs> per use. Yeah, per use of X eighty nine, you're negative five influence. And I like the thematics there of like, oh, you're using this well. 
now that's that's had a political cost you sure. using this like this whore it's like against the geneva yeah. uh, convention or whatever yeah. you using this war but that's uh, bs because there's action cards that are literally just called chemical warfare yeah. that also oh, do horrible yeah. things and there's no punishment for those so it's like i can just luck upon the really good action card or i can go six deep in the worst tech tree to get a tech that's going to actively punish me when i try to win this game and maybe even make it impossible to ever win the game like you could use x89 bacterial weapon too much to then never be able to get enough influence to win the game. It could become impossible. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I love that. That's just ridiculous. Um, I want to talk about some al alternate rule sets that we did not use that yeah. I'm interested in. Uh, one that I think is really dumb and farty, uh, but like <laughs> maybe like kind of fun, is uh, the Declarations of War and yeah, Peace variant. I, I want where that so bad. So the way this works is during the political phase, which is basically the agenda phase, and it happens towards the beginning of every round. Yeah. Um, you either declare war or you declare peace with the other players. At the beginning of the game, everyone starts having declared war. But if you want to be in a trade agreement or have, uh, I actually think that's kind of it. You, the main you, goal, yeah. You 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 can't attack each other right. basically um, if you're at peace, um, except for an exception that I'll talk about in a second. But basically, you you say, hey, me and Matt, we're at peace. We yep. both declare peace. Both players agree. Um, and now they can trade with each other, which is very advantageous. As we said before, you can get a lot of money from that. Um, as far as declarations of war goes, you can declare war only during the political phase, with the, which would then allow you to uh, attack each other. Um, you obviously don't need to be in agreement in order to declare war. If one person wants to declare war, then they're declared war. You can surprise attack a player that you are at peace with, uh -huh. but you have to, if you break peace during like the action phase, you immediately have to pay 30 credits to the bank. Uh -huh. What is that? And then you lose five permanent influence, kind oh of like gosh. x89 style. Um, I love that, yeah. even though it sucks. Yeah, like yeah. that sucks, <laughs> but it's really cool and stupid. And I really want to play with that variant yeah. really bad. Yeah, I, I like I like leaning into the thematic stuff. Some of the thematics are dumber than others. There's Assassins, which was like political intrigue from third edition, if you've ever played third edition. It's like a whole card mini game where you like go to a political session, you play Assassins to try to knock out other people's Assassins. You can have bodyguards operate as Assassins. I can't figure out if Assassins are good to use because the whole thing with Assassins is they can like cripple someone else's economy but they you roll a die with assassins and they either cripple someone else's economy but there's a chance your assassin will backstab you and cripple your own economy so to me it seems like you could choose to use the assassin mechanic but everyone would be like but we're none of us are touching that right like it's way too risky <laughs> to just like doom myself with assassins or whatever uh but i want to play with the more random stuff i want to play with leaders and uh distant sons basically i i, I want to do a game we did the game where it's like it felt like we were playing more or less tournament rules which actually was a thing there was like an uh, there was a there were tournament rules for ti first edition isn't that was, so weird isn't that like, really funny like we we come along like what like you know not not quite 20 years later uh, or well yeah no more than yeah, yeah no exactly 20 years later yeah. um and we're like oh wouldn't it be weird if there was like a tournament that's crazy that there, there there would ever be a twilight imperium tournament and it turns out ctp considered that all the way back in 1997 like canon for him like, this is definitely a tournament game my war game that is mostly nonsense and political intrigue yeah. and swingy action cards that'll be a good tournament fodder I'm going to say it, and I mean, I don't count on me ever saying this again, but maybe we're not that stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, 
maybe we're actually kind of smart i just want to consider that as a possibility for a second and then we can get back to regularly scheduled programming but yeah i think i think maybe we're not that stupid yeah um what else was like uh stuff to to have on there were more there's like a lot more micro stuff i also just want to play more because i want to see more agendas we did we got we saw every single action card or at least everybody drew every action card not we didn't see every single one of them get played but we did cycle through the entire deck but the agendas we haven't talked about the agendas enough i think a lot of them are crazy fun and ones i just want to re-implement into fourth edition like some of them are not that hard to translate into fourth edition terms and they were fun and wacky and i wish agendas were swingy and big deals like that i i think that's the the realm agendas should exist in is like hey this is a big deal and you should care about it right yeah it the thing was it was kind of sad that we only did one per phase right because it's like you kind of just have your influence and then you vote all your info like it seemed like there wasn't a lot of debate to be had between us yeah yeah um, but you know, they, they were very effective. There was also a lot of, um, against nothing happens type yeah. agendas. Right. Um, there were also event cards in the agenda deck, which Love I think it. would be a solid thing to incorporate in yeah. twilight Imperium and makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, they were very impactful. Now, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like if I played a lot of this game, I wonder if I would start to get tired of the agenda phase being yeah. so important. I mean, uh, this is another aspect of uh, me winning this game that we did not talk about. Not only could no one win in the the final round besides me, the player best set up to win slay me got locked down yeah. by an event card. Right. Like it was just a straight up, moment. you can't right. move right. from the system that you're in where all your ships are in that are right outside of my home system. Yeah. So once that happened, it's sort of, it sort of took away the tension a little bit as yeah. far as like what the outcome of the game was going to be in a way that I did not quite love. Yeah. But it's definitely exciting at this stage. Yes. This stage of like not knowing every card in that deck. And I'm like, oh, I want to see all yeah. of it. And like thematics first, like thematic forward. Th- that's why this game caught fire, right? Like, because you have, this is the era of like, Axis and Allies is the 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 war game everybody plays. There's a lot of other war games that are more niche, but Axis and Allies is the like big deal everyone knows it kind of thing. And Twilight Imperium is sort of like a let's make Axis and Allies like insanely thematic rather than insanely like tied right. to strategic history and everything like that. And so, yeah, it 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 to me it now makes more sense why this game completely caught fire and like established fantasy flight as a thing that exists altogether um for me i want to do like one more game of first edition where we check out way more of the wonky stuff but then what i really want to get into is second edition because i think second like first edition got ctp out of his garage basically is my understanding right and second edition is when this was now like a major player in the board game market right so i'm i'm much more interested in doing quite a bit of investigation into second edition. I'm also just very, my understanding is second edition is not wildly different from first edition. So getting a better understanding of the balancing decisions made for second edition and what all was going into that. I just think all of that's really, really cool. And, and, and just like, I, I want to learn more about second edition, but also even second edition is only like, we're talking about from first edition, 1997, in 2000, we're going to get second edition. And in 2005, we're going to get third edition. That's how fast right. we get through all three of these iterations. So when we talk about like 
Twilight Imperium being like a very well-known variable in the board game scene, it is third edition that put it on the map in that regard. Of course. First and second edition were big deals, but third edition is when the game, I think, became whole. And then it was many years before fourth edition decided to come out 12 years later, 2005 to 2017, right? And then in fourth edition was just like this huge behemoth of a game has sat around for over a decade. It's time to actually refine it and make it uh, modernized and complete. And that's why fourth edition, I think, has such a is going to have such a legacy that it continues to have. But it's like it definitely did all start with first edition. and, And I felt that this time more than I had previously. You know, what would be cool. Let's say there was like a place you could go on your computer. Mm-hmm. Let's just let's just say that a place you can go on your computer, Computer Street, we'll call it. <laughs> and on Computer Street, you can just kind of walk in to a computer parlor, uh-huh. some sort of desktop parlor, if you will, <laughs> some sort of engine for happenings. Uh-huh. And in that engine for happenings, you say, "I want to play all of Twilight Imperium." Yeah, I want to play. Maybe I want to play first edition today. Maybe I want to play. Third edition. Maybe I want to play third edition plus Shattered Empire. Yeah. Maybe I want to play yeah. fourth base game. Maybe I want to play Prophecy of Kings. And this is all just a click yeah. of the mouse away. All in one package. The, the Twilight Imperium collection. Yeah. Of all of it digitized. So you're you're suggesting no longer is there any desire for a fifth edition. You want Twilight Imperium the complete edition. I want Twilight Imperium remastered and enhanced <laughs> enhanced edition <laughs> i want digital I want the t- whole t- thing. digital twilight imperium enhanced edition i Why mean i'm not i yeah no i i mean i definitely agree especially with how I'm, like genuinely impossible it is to get a hold of first and second edition at this point i'm telling you this fantasy flight i'm i'm gonna i'm putting all my cards on the table let me just let let me just talk just me and you everybody else get out of here this hey. is me and fantasy flight in Bye. here right now i will Learn a game engine. If if no one else will, I'll do it. And I will just start building Twilight Imperium, the collection. A digital board game product with all of Twilight Imperium inside of it. If I do that, what are you going to do? Are you going to come get me? What are you going to do? I'm, what, am, I, I'm not even saying I'm going to give it to anybody, but I might. You know what I mean? What if it falls into somebody else's hands? What if somebody <laughs> sees it? What if somebody thinks, oh, this is great. Maybe I'll put this somewhere where other people can also look at it. I don't know what would happen next, Fantasy Flight. What I'm saying is just, just do it. The don't make me do court. it. Yeah, don't make you Hunter do it. do it. It'll look like don't trash. Don't make me do it. But listen, <laughs> listen, and don't worry. I will do, I mean, I literally have the classes pulled up right now, okay? <laughs> I'm about to learn. I'm about to change my whole life fantasy flight in order to just make this one thing that I really think should exist. Yeah. Can can we do that? Maybe we'll do it together or maybe we'll secretly do it together, but we'll say we're not. What do you think about that? I'll have any type of relationship with you fantasy flight that you will allow. Okay. (laughs) You understand? I'm coming over for supper. Okay. We don't have to tell anybody, but I am coming over. Let's take a quick break. (laughs) 
Welcome back, everybody. We're, we're just here at the end of an episode, but I still want to do our normal stuff. Hunter, yeah. can I give you the homebrew review? Give me that homebrew review. Okay, so I, I put the call out for like more stuff, more small package stuff, and Absol was like, hey, Matt, I have a big thing. You know, you could just read little bits of it at a time. And I was like, oh, that's probably a good... <laughs> Probably a good idea for all the yeah, people that have big stuff. All. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, here's what I've got for you today. Uh, Absol did a, a new set of relics. It looks like a twenty here, twenty relics, a, tw a twenty size relic deck. Uh, and the intent with Absol's relic deck, uh, and you can go like on our Discord, you know, ping Absol, try to get copies of this. But the yeah, real idea, bother Absol, definitely, yeah, well, definitely bother yeah, Absol about it's this. Not, you know? It's not just sitting in any other repository, so you might have to. Okay, I'm just saying yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where yeah. it is. That as far no, as I just I know. want to encourage pe people, people in the community to Absol. bother other people <laughs> in the community. Not just Absol in particular. Yeah, it's yeah. like I think it'd be cool if we used our platform to just be like, yeah. you should DM so and so. We're always right. saying to engage with us in weird ways, yeah, yeah. but now I just want to focus that engagement at whoever we feel like right uh so what i have is absol's relics um that are intended to go with absol's agendas this is sort of all part of absol's sort of mock reworking of both of these systems as it were she's come up with a bunch of homebrew components i just want to read a small sampling and i'm i'm focusing on two brand new relics and one reworking of a known classic okay Cool. The first one, the most exciting one, the coolest idea uh, of a relic is, Hunter, how do you feel about a relic that is a flagship? Convert your flagship into this neutral flagship. Well, okay, okay. Is this changing my current flagship or is it literally an extra piece on the game? It's my, it's, in the it, game. As far as I understand it, it is that your flagship is now this one. Um, I don't. Okay, there's no. Cool, I, don't, cool. I don't see any specific intent to bring in anything. It's called the Tyrant's Lament. It is the instrument of judgment, and it says, "Deploy at the end of your turn. You may place this unit in any system that contains your ships. When this unit is removed or captured, purge this card. This unit is not affected by action cards, anomalies." or your faction abilities or technologies. It has space cannon oh five times three, sustained damage, anti-fighter barrage five times three, and it rolls five times three with a move of two. But remember, that move two is unmodified for any reason whatsoever. No action right. cards, no gravity right. drive, no it's tech. Two. Your faction ability, Sardak doesn't turn it into a four on a three. Jolnar right. doesn't turn right. it onto a six on a three. It's just this flagship that moves two and hits like a truck. Yeah, that's cool. What's the capacity on it? None. Oh, I can't carry anything. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's genius. It's just a gunship. It's just a it's big, just mean this big gunship. old gunship that you found, and it's not even yours. Yeah, you know what I mean. Right. You're parading it around, but like, listen, we just found this in the dump. <laughs> I like the idea that more relics are just units. Um, I there's a there's a space dock in here. I'm not gonna read. It's a bit too complicated. We'll talk about it another time, I'm sure. Uh, but Absol leaned into like a couple extra units, and I would love to just see that for the relic. Yeah. It's just like turning stuff into other stuff. Uh, give me unit upgrades that are that, right? Like just Absolutely. like, I, I, oh, I don't need Infantry 2 anymore. I found Weird Relic that is basically Infantry 2, but in a different crazy way. Uh, speaking of, here's our next one. It's Quantum Core, the probability engine. Your space dock units gain the space cannon eight in planetary shield abilities when one or more of your units use space cannon you may exhaust this card to treat all dice rolled as a result of 10 
So one auto hit per round with all of your PDS. If you get this relic, you could just go PDS mm -hmm. hard. And once per round, you have an auto. I will hit with every single one of the PDS that I rolled. Also, it has a yellow and a red prerequisite. So you could instantly, without no matter what your other tech path is, you can instantly research PDS too after having Thanks. this. This is really good. Um, <laughs> and I am I already think that Nazroka is one of the best factions in the game. Uh -huh. And let me tell you, if we add these in there, ooh, buddy. Nazroka is going to be off the chain. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, let's make these official. This isn't even homebrew. <laughs> this is just real. I mean, I'm fully ready to adopt, like, the Absol Agenda stuff into tournament play for, for what it's worth. That yeah, or General Pits. Drop I that like on both. People. I just like the. Uh, hey, it, they're both light homebrew. They're just like a, a slightly cycled out set of components with no. Wow. No that word light is doing a lot of heavy. Well, you lifting. know what I mean. There's no additional rule books of Anyways, <laughs> hey, I have one more for you, and it's a new Crown of Thalnos. You hate okay. it. You've seen it. Crown of Thalnos sucks, but guess what's better? Apply plus one to the result of each of your unit's combat rolls. During a combat round, if your opponent produces at least one hit, they produce one additional hit. Whoa. At the start of a combat, you may destroy three of your non-fighter units participating in the combat to destroy all of your opponent's units in that combat if you do purge this card. It's like Yin the Relic. It's like you could kill a bunch wow. of stuff, but you nuke everything whenever you want. Let me read the lore because we're sitting here and it's absolute yeah, stuff. Yeah. A cloud of satellites spewed from the Dreadnought's hull, drifting into a halo around the vessel. The battle seemed to pause for one long moment before the drone's weapons flared, unleashing beams of energy in all directions. Oh. I'll say this much, that feels like an actual relic, whereas Crown of Thanos is like, I brought I brought Kyle to the fight. What do you think of Kyle? He, he, sometimes I re-roll with Kyle helping me out. Uh, but Crown of Thanos is like an event that gets to happen when everything dies. Um, wow. I'm much more in favor of that. Yeah, yeah, me do likey that, me think. The, 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 your opponent hits extra hard against you is a pretty nuts thing, though, because your plus ones might not be doing any... Your goal is to get rid of the Crown of Thalnos as fast as possible. <laughs> like, where could I sacrifice three destroyers as quickly as possible so that my opponents aren't all producing additional hits against me during every single combat round? Yeah, yeah, that's wild. That is just... <laughs> completely i think it's a little bit too much i'm gonna it's a be bit honest mean. I think yeah that one's pretty a mean bit, <laughs> a little bit much it's a little bit much uh i got an agenda phase for you hunter yeah let's hear it okay lucretial asks how much of the meta do you think is truly best practice for the game versus how much is it simply evolved against only what is considered best practice do you think if we could magically totally reset everyone's knowledge of twilight imperium strategy that we'd eventually arrive at the same meta or would different strategies uh, or, uh and then counters become dominant this is an interesting question because i think there's some there's some stuff baked into this question uh -huh. that i'm not entirely sure i agree with i think that there isn't really like I don't know that I feel like there is a considered current best practice. Yeah. I think that the show, I, yeah. if anything, I mean, the show obviously should not exist. I mean, it's a crime, <laughs> but I think it's, I think we perpetuate a lie. I think we're liars. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then we're perpetuating the the lie that there is a current best practice. Right. If if I could, I wish I could just 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 teach you to think, you know, instead of give you my thoughts, you know, <laughs> that's what I want. It's uh-huh. the kind of teach a man to fish, right? You know, and he yeah. eats for a lifetime. Well, because the idea really comes down to that. This question insinuates that there is currently a meta right one meta yeah that is that is sort of the de facto best one, one. meta to but, rule them all but like you know? i literally think the meta changes within our tournament like the qualifiers are different than the semis you know what i mean yes. the, the kind yes. of games we were talking about this recently you and i because there's been a lot of talk about how violent the qualifiers have been um lots right. of cabal wins lots of people like taking uh home like eliminating players and then still winning themselves like very very violent things but hunter you said something recently that i hadn't i kind of had forgotten but like that was sort of a storyline last year too that the qualifiers were quite violent and then by the semis it's just extraordinarily boat floaty and the same is true like of the invitational so it has to again the meta we, we say meta a lot on this show to refer to like sort of what's happening on our discord sort of common thought things mm-hmm. that we recognize mm-hmm. but that's just like never true uh it, there, there's always so many people disagreeing on, on so many factors the the only actual proper use of the word meta is between the six players at your table of your active game of twilight Imperium. that group has a meta and you have to right. unlock and uncover that meta and determine what the best practice is and the only way you figure out what the best practice is at the end of the game one of you wins <laughs> And then it was like, oh, that one, that was the best practice. If you have a recurring group, if you have six people that you play all the time with, you all will have an established meta, right? right? With with our group we played TI1 with, which is a group of people we play TI with actually quite often, you know, they're they're sort, you know, Kaluin and Milty and Mantis. We've played for many years with these these people. Um, I think there is a bit of a meta with those folks in particular. Like we, we know how they play, they know how we play, and we end up with roughly similar games across the board but when we play a just like a random uh yin sisterhood game and it's like you know some new people to the sisterhood we've never played with before those games are wildly different there's no met we don't know what we're getting into when we play one of those games anything can happen yeah it's true um i do think that yeah i just i just don't think that you should put that much stock into what everyone considers the current best practice. Right. I think that, you know, if I were you and I was someone that listened to this show, when we get into the nitty gritty of strategy, I, like I, I would expect us to represent our opinions and support them, you know, right. in, in an argument type way, you know, like almost like we're, it's like we're philosophers, but for stupid stuff. Um, that's what we are. We're yeah. like dumb philosophers. Which, hey, guess what? Actually, philosophy is pretty dumb. I've maintained <laughs> to this day I that the biggest it. red flag in the world is when somebody's like, I have a philosophy degree. <laughs> that is a huge red flag. Okay? I am like not really going anywhere like with 30 that people that just unsubscribe from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. I think y'all scare me. Okay? Y'all freak me out. Um, but, so like, what works for you? I think there's a lot of people that do things that don't work in air quotes as far as this podcast uh-huh. idea of what the game is but it still works anyways yes. because there isn't necessarily a best way to approach twilight imperium that's honestly why i feel like my goals lately have been to try and break out 
of my own play style uh -huh. and experiment more. Um, we have the Nasroka episode coming up next week. I really enjoyed my time with Nasroka because I felt like Nasroka allowed me to sort of embrace a new way of thinking. Cool. Which is to be very, to just kind of go wild at the table. Yeah. To just play the casino. Right. Um, when we did the extra guide uh, for Codex 3 Extra, I felt a similar thing happen there where I was like, this is not normally how I play. Yeah. You know, and I, 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 I played a game where I ended up in both of my neighbor's home systems. <laughs> Uh, it, there's been a lot of just like, you know, I don't think that playing the game one way is even very smart, right. you know, like right. being, being open, being willing to adjust to, uh, your other, the other players, but also just like, just not being the same person at the table every week yeah. is, is a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. As um, much as it is possible, I guess. That said, uh, Blue Tech would still be good. <laughs> well, that all is the that. way that I'm not experimenting, <laughs> right? right. Like, it, given all these other factors, like we, I do think if we reset everyone's brains, we would still come to the conclusion that Blue Tech is best. I mean, yeah. I, there's still people that disagree with that, though. I think I, I don't know that anybody disagrees that Blue Tech is necessarily best, but I think people think we maybe overstate it and don't hype up things like integrated economy enough or whatever and like whatever that's all just like a consistently up for debate thing but like you can just see the signposts of the game and see why blue tech leads to more success more often or whatever um so i don't know um i i i don't consider those things necessarily meta in the same sense though i, I guess is why it's not being brought up earlier in this question um i definitely don't think if you reset everyone's brains i don't think we would go through all of the same motions of like what's considered good and bad right i, I like two years ago we thought mahawked was not very good um i that that could be totally different given a, a reset of everyone's brains i don't think it's inherent that we would have gone from a mahawked is tough and not very good to use to actually they're great and holy cow they're winning all of the time i think that can happen a million different ways uh because it's too dynamic um yeah, I, I, I don't think we would have gone through all of the same paces, basically, if you reset the timeline. Yeah, and I think it doesn't help that we have these two bozos uh, that have this podcast where they just spew specifically their opinions. Right. And they just use that to just kind of to color the discussion. <laughs> and I think they're overemphasized. I think they're annoying, uh -huh. dorky. They're yeah. they're flipping dorky. Yeah. Okay. Uh and yeah, I just think they're gross and annoying. Yeah. And, um, but you know, I mean, I definitely want to thank our weird bears. I want to thank our weird bears. Big Al Cappuccino, Squeamy, Jimu, Brasbro, Cable, Soul, Kaluan, Daryl, Janine, Jedi, Carnal, John, Necrodice, Twice, Kindred Spirit, Alice, Lord Raddington, Emilshevsky, Sunfax, Absol, Ricky, M44, Orwise, Ryan, and Spirit Thing. And I'd like to thank our, I'd like to thank our Teensy Sprouts, Patience is a Virtue, Ethan from Cardboard Crash Course, Baldrick, Tautology is what it is, Craig, and Frank G. Recca, General Pith, my son is also named Bor, Uncle Batty, Savant, and Vince. Uh, Galactic Council, there is still a poll active right now. Go vote on the options for the upcoming Galactic Council episode. TI Factions ranked goodest to evilest on the morality spectrum. Uh, we homebrew new promissory notes. A director's commentary of episode six of Space Cats Peace Turtles, our very first theoretical tier list before we'd ever even played the game, and a system tile tiered list. I believe last I checked, system tile was barely ahead 
of the morality ranking, maybe? I don't recall exactly, but go get your votes in before the poll closes. You can rate this podcast on your app of choice. Give us five stars and tell us you think we did just a bang-up job, and I'm really proud of you, and boy, I hope Ooh. that you just, you know, yeah. you keep at it. I just I just love you boys so much, I, and I just would, I just love that you're doing what you do, and it's just really fantastic. Five stars. I love these little nuggets. <laughs> You can go to our website for information on our Patreon, our Discord, our merch, etc. And you can send us this Imperium Life Stories to SpaceCatsPeaceTurtles at gmail.com. I do not want to talk about tournament games of the week right now. You can't make me. It'll oh, happen when it happens. But Matt, it says no, at the bottom. I see says, the note. Oh, keep an eye out. Says, well, and I don't at wanna... the bottom of the outline, it says, mm. keep an eye on the feed for an upcoming bonus episode. Wait, is this, it this is week's still... script or is this last <laughs> Which week's script is this? Is this last week or the ah, week shoot, before? We did the same episode as last week. We were oh, reading no. off the whole wrong script this whole time. Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. You left in this thing that... So this is two weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. Where is this? No, no, you definitely have already... Everyone's already listened to the Tournament Games of the Week episode. There's not um now upwards of 30 games I need to just work into episodes. Listen, I'm good at this job. Stads isn't better than me. Stads didn't show how monolithic of a ridiculous thing the qualifier report was last year. And <sighs> um, I am also uh, competent. So there you go. I'm, I'm about to crack my knuckles. And, no, uh, no, no, and, no, no. I got to do give it. You... Everyone... <laughs> Thank goodness I, I there's not that many rogue on this project oh, no. and just start uploading stuff in the feed. <laughs> and I don't care what happens. I'm gonna up I'm just gonna write myself a nice little drama of like eight games where I'm just making it all up and the points don't matter. And I'm just gonna read those out and there's nothing anyone can do to stop me. I have the keys to the kingdom. I have literally everything I need here. I have a microphone. Uh -huh. I have the software necessary to mm -hmm. accomplish this. Yeah. Okay. I know the password to get into our Podbean and just start go just spamming. <laughs> I'm saying one. Uh, you know what? You know how I'm gonna do it, Matt? If we if we don't if we don't fix this problem, I'm gonna upload one game per file. <laughs> So that means tomorrow, and give them episode titles. Episode. They all have yeah. an episode. Yeah. They all have they all a, a have episode, episode number. Titles. Episode two eighty seven, game number fourteen of the qualifiers. <laughs> episode two eighty eight, game number fifteen of the qualifiers. Game fifteen, act three. You know, it's it's gonna be deep. We are gonna lose every subscriber because uh, their feeds are gonna be exploding with brand new episodes featuring only me. And I'll, you know what? I'm gonna leave in like all the pauses and stuff. I'm gonna like drink water and be like hold on just give me a second and then i'll just like sit there and like they'll hear me like you know typing or something or like you know talking to my girlfriend on the phone or something it, like it, that's what i'm gonna do it makes me feel so good when i'm listening to audiobooks a, a thing i would consider to be a very professional medium and then you hear the audiobook narrator like gulp and restart their sentence and it's like oh y'all just left that in there huh turns out this is all hard I to like do that. isn't it it's the best man just a little bit of a little bit of bringing us all down to earth uh hey yeah. hunter happy valentine's day uh go, hey, ha go goodbye i love everybody oh yeah i need to go like literally <laughs> I, we open this with uh, my girlfriend is waiting and then now i'm here like at an hour and 20 minutes being like let's hang out a little more though i'm having fun like, like we we just got going what is this this is space cats peace turtles we're supposed to go two and a half hours every week that's what they want matt come on no i gotta go i don't want to get uh not divorced divorced you know what i mean 
Not divorce, divorce. <laughs> what is that called? A breakup. You. Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>